Real quick, I gotta let you in on a testing secret. With regulations and breaches on the rise, production data is no longer safe or legal for developers to use. And creating test data in-house is a complex chore that eats away valuable time. That's where Tonic comes in. They make it possible to create a true mirror of production by safely and realistically mimicking production data. So you can work on real product and steer clear of surprises at release time. Learn more at tonic.ai slash code story. When we drove out to visit that first school in the middle of nowhere, we drove onto campus in what should have been her very first choice school. And she said, dope, dad, don't, don't even get out of the car. And I said, well, you're going to get out of the car. We've driven a long way, but let's take the tour. And then we got back in the car and I said, okay, tell you what, you grab Spotify, you're in charge of the radio and, and you can find us a mood lightning song. I'm going to jump on Yelp and I'm going to find us a great restaurant in this town we've never been to. And, and it occurred to me that the matching quality of those two services, which were largely inconsequential, was profoundly more effective than this quarter million dollar decision about where she was going to go to college. I'm Dave Herwitt, founder and CEO of True. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how David Herwitt wants to ask you the right questions in order to help find the perfect college fit. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. David Herwitt lives in Burlington, Vermont, and is a married father of three. And those kids have already grown and flown, per Dave's words. Their journey out of the nest into college was a driver behind starting his current venture. Outside of that, though, he is an avid photographer and really enjoys taking pictures, but ensuring that there is people in them, because he states it's just better that way. Dave spent some time in college admissions in the past, and as his kids grew up, he started to look into the process again. He found that when visiting a school in person, there wasn't a solution that utilized preferences of the graduates, helping them identify patterns to help match them to their perfect school. This is the creation story of Truve. It is a two-sided SaaS platform for students and schools who are looking to try to find their forever fit in higher education. 
So from a student's perspective, it's the college search process. It is modernizing what is a centuries-old process by using the kind of algorithmic matching that we use in every other part of our lives. We're just finally bringing into one of the most expensive and meaningful parts of our lives in helping students to find the right kind of school where they not only will get in, but where they will get out. College isn't, if I use a dating analogy, it's not a first date, it's a marriage. And so we are trying to help find the right place where you're going to go and be happy and find your people and stay. On the college side, we work directly with schools to help them to find the students who are most likely to enroll and persist, graduate, and become engaged future alumni. Because the business model of higher education is desperately trying to evolve from selling a four-year degree and then nagging you for the rest of your life to give money for nothing. They want to be your source of education for the rest of your life. And to do that, if they can find the people that match best with their community, then they have the opportunity with all of our technology today to continue to supply value and education for your whole life. I worked in college admissions when I was an undergraduate, giving tours and those things. And then when I was in business school, I was on the admissions committee. So I was reading files and voting. And I'm old enough to say that I graduated from business school just as the internet was coming uh, to be. And I've spent the last nearly 30 years doing a range of different product development, new product and service creation kind of jobs. The theme in all that is, are the products and services that are in this market today meeting the needs of that market? And that's the lens that I look at everything through. As my children grew up, I eventually came back to the college admissions process as my now 28-year-old was getting ready to look at colleges. We did all the things that you would normally do. She had a good guidance counselor in high school. We hired our private college counselor. She had two parents who were graduates of college. But we found when we drove out to visit that first school in the middle of nowhere, we were way out in, in Western New York, far from home. We drove onto campus in what should have been her very first choice school. And she said, don't, Dad, don't, don't even get out of the car. This is not going to happen. And I said, you're going to get out of the car. We've driven a long way. But let's take the tour. And then we got back in the car. And I said, OK, tell you what, you grab Spotify. You're in charge of the radio. And, and you can find us a good mood lightning song. I'm going to jump on Yelp. And I'm going to find us a great restaurant in this town we've never been to. And we had an amazing dinner. And we had wonderful music to get us there that really changed the mood. And, and it occurred to me that the matching quality of those two services, which were largely inconsequential choices, was profoundly more effective than this quarter million dollar decision about where she was going to go to college. And so that really was the genesis of the idea to say, can we use the technology that we use to make buying decisions that are outcome driven by their communities? And so that's the basis of truth. It says, take the existing users. The largest part of every school are the graduates. And with a little bit of data science AI magic these days, we can figure out what are the academic and social patterns that were important to their happiness and success, turn that into a digital filter through which new students can see the school and be seen, and we can understand their fit. Let's dive into the MVP then. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? It took about a year, to be honest. And, and part of that was I started the company in probably a day or two before COVID became a thing. And so that COVID affected a lot of timelines and, and how we all work. So that was an issue. But I'm also a guy who is not a coder. I am um, not someone who comes from a lifetime of, of work in the enrollment industry. And so I had a lot of learning to do. So I had to build a network 
figure out what is the problem we're trying to solve and what are the technologies we might be able to use and then attract the talent and the capital to be able to do all those things. We did that, raised some angel capital, built an MVP of the product and recognized from the beginning that it was really important to the student experience that from day one, they'd be able to match with any school in the country, not just the schools that we've managed to sign up. And so there are about 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. And so we bought the sort of public access data for all 4,000 schools to, to start our matching program so that the consumer could have a really rich experience from day one. So we, we built that and we did a beta test in Western New York with three schools in the 2021-22 enrollment cycle. And we found, just really quickly found the schools, honestly. This is a sort of a really meat and potatoes basic idea that says, hey, we're trying to find the students that are going to love you for a lifetime. And the people that already love you for a lifetime are your code. They're, they are the people that you can use with some modern tools. And that opens up not just within your existing CRM system, knowing which of the students are the right ones for you to go after, but it opens you up to the entire network capability of reaching any student anywhere in the world and quickly assess whether they're a good fit. Schools get this. So with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? And, and I hear, you know, some that might be interesting to talk through, but I really, I really want to know what some of the biggest ones were for you. Maybe in that school selection, those first three beta schools, or how you were capturing the data. Tell me how you worked through those decisions and trade-offs and specifically how you coped with those decisions. Our process involves getting a school on board and then getting roughly... 400 or so surveys complete from that school to supplement the data we already have in this public access data we purchased to begin our process. And so learning to operate within the higher education administrative atmosphere, if you will, I was warned by a lot of people about how slow and archaic it can be. And we definitely found it to be a challenge. For example, one of our schools was a SUNY school, the State University of New York system, right? So there's 64 SUNY schools. It's the, I believe, the second largest public university system in the country. And I was expecting this incredibly slow, difficult process of getting beta contracts approved and getting access to their systems. And they were in, out, signed, done in about 10 days. It was phenomenal. And I worked with another much smaller private school that just really struggled. And so we learned a ton about how to gather the data and how to try to remove the friction. There is inherently in any new process friction points. And your job as a founder is to try to see them and fix them. And so you can eliminate that friction and allow things to go faster. So that's the purpose of the beta to figure out where they are, not to pretend they don't exist. And so we found our friction points and tried to, to clean them up and go faster. And one of our big challenges, though, was also aligning the timing of our beta, what my business wanted with the timing of the market. The enrollment cycle obviously has a pretty distinct calendar to it too far after the first of the year. And pretty much that class has already applied. Right? There are some rolling admission schools out there, but generally students have their applications in. So helping them to find a new school after they've already applied is not a huge value. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. 
With CypherStash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, CypherStash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. You've got your MVP, it's working, you've done the beta, you've gone through with your, your early adopters or your schools that were the early adopters. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap or how are you going about building your roadmap? And how do you decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build for truth? We have this two-sided business model and we have consciously chosen to make our service free to the consumer the student and their family, and paid for by the schools. And part of that is driven by the reality that schools are already spending billions and that we felt like we could effectively tap into that revenue stream. But part of it was also mission-driven. The idea of building a service to help solve the problem of college admissions was interesting to me intellectually, but it wasn't until I really realized just how disparate the outcomes are in higher education based on the affluence of your family, the education level of your family, racial diversity, that all of these things play in. The average graduation rate for white students in America is twice the graduation rate for African-American students. Wealthier students graduate more. Students whose parents went to college graduate far more than students who don't. So we very consciously chose from a business model perspective to say we want to levelize the playing field with technology and so we're going to make this free to students. So we got through beta and said, okay, now let's revisit that decision because collecting a few dollars from hundreds of thousands and hopefully ultimately millions of students on a monthly basis is a pretty attractive revenue stream. But we decided from a product standpoint that in order to build out the features and functionality and then to go after those really large multi-million person markets, that was a very expensive proposition, and, and the capital markets were saying, this is not a great time to go raise millions of dollars uh, at this early stage. You would be better served by going and signing up a whole bunch of schools and getting them to pay you. And that we felt that the functionality that we went into beta and then came out of beta with was actually much closer to 
the saleable great product where it is today than the consumer version would have been. So we revisited the decision about business model, chose to double down on the school side to start with, and then set about trying to go out and sign as many new schools as we can find. How did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? I knew in the beginning, my, my ambition was as a non-coder that I needed a technical co-founder if I could find the right person. I think there's a special kind of cat that works and succeeds in early startups. I have worked at huge companies, General Electric and Whirlpool, and loved it, but it's very different than the startup environment. And the true startup environment is very different than being employee number 200 at a 30 million revenue, very small company that's still early in its history. And so finding people that, that are multi-tool kind of players, but have a real hunger and passion and some level of proof point experience that they've done this before and they can bring in value and know how to really self-motivate and to bring a specific skill set that you're desperately needing. Those are pretty tight parameters. I found my, myself very quickly getting to the former CTO turned CEO of the only, I believe at the time at least, was the only SaaS unicorn in Vermont, a company called Dealer.com. And so I, I got to the right guy and he said, oh my God, I love this and I would love to help build this for you. I don't really want to be a founder again or a co-founder because I've been there, done that. And, and he had an exit that said he didn't have to. But he's been tremendously helpful. He's put money into it. He has put time and passion and brought the expertise, having built a SaaS business before. And then we've had fits and starts when it comes to hiring and finding the right people. I think at this stage, the key is to step into it definitively and then step out of it equally definitively if something's not working. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too, in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, CastAI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's flip to scalability. And this will be interesting. You know, given the product you're building, 
and how it might factor in, but did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or with scale in mind, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Everybody lives with the fantasy of virality, right? That you're going to hit that viral inflection point, especially when you have consumer side of your business. And every student's going to say, oh my God, I love this. I have to have this. Let me tell a hundred of my friends. That's a hope and a dream. It's not a strategy. We have grown intentionally and are growing very intentionally through the school channel, which is much more of a classic seeking early adopters approach to the market. As I said before, I've you know, worked in consumer businesses and industrial businesses, consumer durables. Every one of these markets has a similar adoption bell curve that has a small tail out front of early adopters. And so we're in the process of seeking out all those other adopters. But we absolutely built Truve to expect and need an inflection point on the consumer side. And the word Truve itself is a made up brand. And I've, I've intentionally chose the word because I want to become the verb in the category. When I look competitively at the marketplace in higher education and that transition for a student, how do I go from high school into my adult life? The seven years before LinkedIn, if you will. That to me is a wide open space. There is no brand that owns it in the mind of the consumer. And so that is absolutely center of our ambition is to become the verb in the category. So when a student says, how do I know what I should study? How do I know where I should go? The answer is to prove it. That's going to require building some awareness and then trusting that we have got the product right and that core requirement of those students. I was speaking to a student who's about, he's leaving home tomorrow to go to start his sophomore year at the University of Tampa. We have a program we're going to tap into current college students to help us grow our school side sales. He could not have been more enthusiastic about this. And it is such a common experience. And I hear from kids all the time, oh, I wish they had this when I was in college. This is awesome. It's like a dating app for college. This is great. I have so many friends who are going to love this. That scale will take us from working B2B side on the, on the school side, looking for early adopters, to then reinvesting back into the consumer side, which is going to then draw the rest of us, draw us into the bell curve of the rest of those schools who are looking for more evidence of a huge crowd gathering before they jump in. As you step out on the balcony, you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I would say there are two things. One is the mission side of this. This is a near 400-year-old industry that is stuck where it is and has such a disparity of outcomes. As I said, based on wealth and family education, and education has always been so important to social mobility in this country. It is your way to go and build the life that you want and to this sort of tap into that profoundly American ideal of making of your life what you want. I love the idea that we can help to make that dream more accessible and more real for those among us who have the least today. And so that's something I really, it get that gets me out of bed every day. And when you have those tough days as a founder, that absolutely fills my tank. And then I would just say, honestly, being in the arena, being a product guy my whole life, I've always, I always have ideas, but there's a difference between having ideas and building something and doing it. And win, lose, or draw, you're in the arena, you're working it, and I'm proud of that. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. 
I hired someone to do business development for me and to really take over that so that I could focus on other areas of the business. Because as you start out as a founder, you're wearing all the hats. And that seemed like a good one to offload once we have the product up and running. I thought I asked all the right questions. And this person was and is a wonderful person, highly accomplished. And ultimately, I just didn't see the fit of that early stage hunger with the founder's hat on saying, okay, what we're trying to do is close these sales and then go raise more money. Am I better off with this person who had great credentials and great experience? And if we can get these results, am I better off keeping them? Or given the fact that we weren't getting the results I wanted, where I, am I better off keeping them just to have them? Or am I better off saying I was decisive about understanding that I had made a mistake and that this person would be better off in another environment for themselves and for us as well, and that we just would bleed capital trying to get it right or trying to avoid admitting a mistake. And so opted for, we need to be proactive about this and say, you're terrific and you should go take that skill set and find some place where it's a really wonderful fit for you. And so that was the route that I chose. And I think maybe being a slightly older founder, maybe I'm being generous with myself, but it's not hard to make quick decisions because you recognize that the other person is struggling with this as well and they're not where they should be. And you're not helping anybody by hanging in there. And so just seeing it, admitting it, eating the disappointment and saying, okay, let's get past it and get on with what we need to get done is something that, uh, that we've definitely worked on here. Okay, this will be fun to ask, and it's always interesting to listen to the passion from the founder. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? The idea that any high school student in the world can instantly find out more about what am I passionate about? What would my career look like? Where would I go to get the skill set, the training that I need in order to reach that dream? That's ultimately what this product is all about. And we want it, like I said, we want to be that verb. So the way to do that is to prove it. I really believe that by drawing those students in, students are excited about the potential of this. It is so much more native to them than, hey, grab a number two pencil and go take an SAT exam and fill out common apps and FAFSA forms and all that stuff is a nightmare. We have such an opportunity to transform how people think about this process. My own daughter wrote her college essay entitled My First Adult Decision, talking about how she worked her way through this process and some other stuff in her life. But that idea that these are young people that are ready to, to fly. The statistics tell us that, that basically you have a 50-50 shot of staying and graduating from your first enrolled school in this country. It's a flip of a coin. And if we can help people to dramatically improve those odds of not just finding the school where they're going to get in, but the school where they're going to get out, then this will have just been a life well lived and an amazing experience. And we're going to allow so many people to just get accelerate their dreams. I'm all in on that. Let's switch to you, Dave. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. It, it might be a little cliche. I, my dad is just the most level-headed, compassionate, empathetic person I know. And so I always find thinking about the other person and helping to understand what is it they're struggling with? How are you being helpful? Getting myself out of the way a little bit. I tend to want to jump in and fix things. And instead, what I'm trying to do is create a system that allows you to fix it for yourself and find it for yourself. And so I've always got my dad over my shoulder saying, not literally anymore, I'm afraid, but my dad's always in my ear saying, hey, 
hold on a sec, let, let them figure it out, create the process, create the system, understand what they really need, and then provide them the opportunity to solve for themselves and, and they will be dramatically better off than if you stepped in and did it for them. It's that idea of a software as a service, let them, you provide the service and then let them go to work is I think a really important guiding principle for me personally and for the business I'm trying to build. Okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Doesn't doesn't have to be something that maybe broke or was a mistake. Could have worked really well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. I think I probably would have tried to run a parallel path on the consumer side, as well as really our, our heads down B2B focus. Because as much as I said that, as the saying goes, hope is not a strategy. And so believing that you can hit this viral kind of inflection point with the consumer and it'll just take off is definitely not the strategy of my company. However, I really believe that as people find out about this, and I talk to people every day about my product, and I get almost identical reactions of excitement. And where was this when I was going through this? And when I had this problem, where was it when my kids needed it? And so I think I probably would have availed myself more of the social channels we have available and spent more time in front of my phone instead of behind it, if you will. I'm a sucker for testimonial kind of video. And I so appreciate when I see other founders or other just experts in general, just grabbing their phone and then talking to me as if I'm sitting there across the table from them. And I don't think I did a great job of that. And I try to get better and I thinking as I'm saying this, I should probably do more of it for the rest of the day. But just to be out there pitching your story directly to the consumer, putting it out there, and then just keep going. And if it doesn't amount to much, it didn't cost much. There wasn't a months of production cost and thousands of dollars and and delays and, and lighting and editing and music and just talk to people and keep putting it out there. Because if you really are tapping into a common large-scale need what's the risk last question dave so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing they're jazzed about it they can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane what advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit i would say listen to other people only to a point some point you have to trust yourself, trust your instincts, and let that passion flow out of you. Not everybody responds well when someone is just completely jazzed, but typically it's because they are all energy and enthusiasm and no strategy and no plan. And what really attracts me, if I sat down on that plane and someone said, here's my idea, and it just made nothing but sense, and you could tell they were passionate about it, and they started to say, we're doing this and not that, and we are very thoughtful, and this is what I could use from you, that is a real attractor for me. And I had actually a a founder reach out to me. He's got an ed tech product. He found me on LinkedIn. He just wanted to chat. He was the guy who turned out to be sitting next to me in an airplane, proverbially. He was actually in Barcelona. He's from Ireland. He's got a genius product, full of passion. And I threw him a couple of ideas and connected with some people and got really energized by just talking to him. He was looking for input, but not me to make any decisions or me to, he he wasn't stuck. He was just moving forward and sharing that with me was really inspirational. Excellent. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Dave, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of truth. Thanks. No, I appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.